I'd always been curios of curios. No, 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 it's there. Curious. That's the bad thing about spell check. If you actually spell a word correctly, but it's the wrong word, it doesn't know context. Ugh. Context matters. Hey, I don't know what kind of thing I should say over the beginning of this episode, so I'm just going to say, look, it's December, I love snow, and I'm a schnook. Oh my goodness, this is chapter 43 of Autobiography of a Schnook. I am Sean, and, um, of course I'm a schnook. And Happy Hanukkah, those of you listening in the present... Uh, the present, of course, being uh, just before Christmas, 2022. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Speaking of Christmas, oh my goodness, I got to talk about this. Uh, every couple of weeks, my boss has a meeting at 3 o'clock on Fridays. In a way, it's kind of like a end-of-the-workday meeting because basically at that point, we set aside work. We do something fun. Used to be at my company, they used to go out on the roof of the building and have, uh, I guess, drinks or something and maybe some snacks and just shoot the bowl, as it were. <laughs> of course, now that everybody works remote, for the most part, they don't do that anymore. And now that it's December in the Midwest, it's a little bit too cold to do that kind of thing. But the first such meeting in December, here's what my boss did. He introduced Whamageddon, which, those of you who don't know, Whamageddon is a game you play in which you avoid hearing the song Last Christmas, popularized by Wham, because that song is so freaking ubiquitous. You want to see how long you can go without hearing it before December 25th. What I believe to be the official rule is that it specifically refers to the original version as done by the duo called Wham! back in the 80s, George Michael and Andrew Ridgely, of course, as opposed to the numerous cover versions that have come out over the years. So my boss implemented Wham! again at work, and the winner gets a little Santa statue with a caption on it that says, I survived Whamageddon. He had a few rules. For one thing, any version of Last Christmas counts. Covers. I, I think it has to be like a professional version. It can't just be somebody walking in the room and say, Last Christmas, you gave me a It has to be a professional version, I think. Another rule was during scheduled work meetings, that's sacred ground. It's essentially ghoul. Basically, you're safe from last Christmas. So if uh, a car drives by during a meeting and you hear last Christmas coming from it or something, it didn't count. Another rule was that sabotage was not only expected, but encouraged. And the person with the most kills would get a special Krampus gift. <laughs> now, here's the thing. One of the managers was talking about how his husband loved Last Christmas, and he would undoubtedly be playing the hell out of it, so he basically excused himself from Whamageddon. He basically said, I'm out already. But the thing about being out when you're whammed, it's a lot easier to sabotage other people because you can actually listen to it without putting yourself in danger. So he went right to work on sabotaging other people. Now, where I work, 
It's a company that does, uh, long story short, R&D database software. It's all online. It's all done over the web. And every one of our clients has separate test sites. So we can futz around all we want and it won't actually affect the client at all. But said manager who bowed out of Whamageddon sent a message to everybody on Slack saying, hey, is anybody noticing this when you log in on such and such a client's test site? And he had a little video capture of some weird stuff happening in their login screen. Well, that was a trap because people who clicked on it, assuming they had their volume up, would hear last Christmas. He actually embedded an MP3 into the login page. (laughs) Thankfully, I was very busy at the time. I was working on something that I just could not code properly for some reason, and I was really struggling with it, and I had a deadline coming up, so I'm thinking, man, somebody else will take care of this. And a couple of days later, we had kind of a lunch and learn over Zoom, and when I joined the meeting, it was already past the time the meeting was supposed to start, but it had the uh, waiting room screen. Now, those of you who use Zoom probably have seen that Zoom has a waiting room, and you have to wait until the host clicks on something and lets you in. And there was a little animation or video behind it of Snowfall, and I noticed that there was a little X at the bottom of the window. You know, it's that same X you see on YouTube and other sites. It basically tells you that your sound is muted. So I was about to unmute, and I was like, wait a minute, this could be a trap. And it was. It was a trap. My boss had slipped the meeting organizer a copy of... He was already out at the time, so he was safe. He could listen all he wanted. But he had slipped the meeting organizer a copy of Last Christmas and uh, had her put it in the the waiting room. Now, I know that I said that basically scheduled company meetings were considered sacred ground, but I think because the meeting hadn't started yet, this one counted. Unfortunately, though, let's see, I'm recording this on December 18th. Two days ago, December 16th, in case you can't do basic math, that was a Friday. My wife, Lisa, and I were just chilling out in the living room, probably about 11 o'clock at night, and she just channel surfed and landed on The Tonight Show, which we do watch regularly. We TiVo it, and we just watch the monologue, and if we like the guests, we'll watch the guests, too. But she landed on The Tonight Show, and then Jimmy Fallon and one of his guests, James Corden, sang as a duet a Christmas medley. What was the first song? Last f***ing Christmas. So I had to report on our Slack channel for Whamageddon that I was out. I used a uh, animated GIF. Yes, G-I-F is pronounced GIF. That is according to the creator of the GIF. I posted an animated GIF of Cosmo Kramer slamming money down on the counter and saying, I'm out. Yeah, that was another thing. Uh, How my boss enforced Whamageddon was simply the honor system. And as I speak, I think there are three people still standing, but I'm not one of them. I guess I'm too much of a schnook. So that's what I've been up to lately. (laughs) And I figured I should probably do kind of a year in review thing. So, hey, why not? How was my 2022? Let's get into that, shall we? can't say that 2022 was a boring year. 
Well, okay, I actually can. I mean, after all, you know, it's a free country. I can say whatever the hell I want, but uh, I wouldn't be very correct. So much happened, and perhaps so much in one short year, that I didn't really get much of a chance to let it all soak in so that I could fully appreciate it. On January 1st, I decided that I should document my life every day. That lasted not even a week. I totally forgot I started doing this. Just as I was typing the script for this segment, I stumbled upon my entries for January. Well, that month started out pretty mundane. Either that or I found nothing worth documenting other than, say, trips to Target. Of course, probably the most jarring thing that happened was losing my job after nearly 10 years of dedicated service and then almost immediately turning around and landing another job with the best salary I've ever had to boot. But I talked about that in Chapter 42, so let's move on. Podcasting-wise, well, I didn't really do much with Autobiography of a Schnook. You might have noticed I didn't put out many episodes this year. But my wife Lisa and I pretty steadily released monthly episodes of our new Beach Boys podcast, Tune X Podcast, and we've been having a lot of fun with that. We even landed an interview with David Leaf, Brian Wilson's trusted biographer. Pie Factory Podcast, which I co-host with my friend Jim, well, we tried our best to do monthly episodes, but our schedules wouldn't always work. But damned if we didn't try. Believe it or not, I actually have a few more podcast ideas in the works that I really, really want to do. Um, My advice to anybody considering doing a podcast and who doesn't do it already, don't. Just don't don't do it, because you're going to find that it can be very addicting, and you just want to keep doing more and more and more. You keep coming up with podcast ideas that uh, you really want to get out there, and it's quite addicting, quite annoying. (laughs) But aside from that, Lisa and I took three trips this year. For spring break, we went to Las Vegas for the first time in five years, and in the summer, we went to Los Angeles and San Diego. For the first time in three years, I went to New Jersey for Thanksgiving. For a long time, that was our Thanksgiving habit. We would fly out to Jersey, spend a few days with Lisa's mom, and then we'd come back on either Black Friday or Small Business Saturday. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but there was a virus or something going around in 2020, so we stayed home. And then my dad died in 2021, so I figured I should spend Thanksgiving with my mom. So this year was my return trip to Jersey, and quite frankly, I was miserable the whole time. I won't get into why, but I can say that a good part of it is that so much that I liked about New Jersey when I lived there is no longer around, and things that I did not like about New Jersey when I lived there were out in full force. I had a couple of smaller trips, too. In September, for our wedding anniversary, Lisa and I went to New Buffalo for a weekend. New Buffalo, Michigan, that is, just over the Michigan border when you're going to Michigan from Chicago. It's part of what they call Harbor Country. It's a nice little place with a very pleasant lakefront. We went and we relaxed and we did our traditional viewing of the movie The Endless Summer. We watch it every year right around the time that summer comes to an end. That was actually the first time we did an anniversary trip since 2019. Um, I don't know if I would say that it's so much because of COVID, because in 2020 we actually did make two trips to New Buffalo during the summer, and that's probably why we didn't go back in September, because we already did it twice. And I don't remember... Actually, no, no, 2019 we went to San Diego. So it was 2018 was the last time we were in New Buffalo for our anniversary. 
And honestly, I don't remember why we didn't do that in 2021. Hmm. Another small trip? In April, I took a solo trip to Milwaukee for Midwest Gaming Classic at the Wisconsin Center downtown. Thinking it would probably be the most convenient way to get there, I decided to try taking Amtrak's Hiawatha service rather than take our car and leave Lisa Carlos for the weekend or the hassle of renting a car. In fact, I actually looked into renting a car, but none of the car rental places were open when I would be returning that Sunday. But I gotta say, I'm glad I took Amtrak. It was an easy trip. Really, the hardest part was just getting to Union Station from home, and even that was just a simple Uber ride. By the way, if anybody from Chicago Transit Authority is listening to this, please do everything that you possibly can to make it so that the L can get you to Union Station. It's just ridiculous that it can't. Anyway, uh, moving on, the actual train trip to Milwaukee wasn't that exciting, to be honest. I mean, you're basically seeing a lovely view of, well, backyards of the Chicago suburbs. And um, unfortunately, the so-called quiet car was anything but quiet, and the conductors weren't doing a damn thing about it. Thankfully, though, on the way back to Chicago, the quiet car actually was quiet and very enjoyable. There was a delay on the way back, but thankfully it was only about 15-20 minutes. My hotel in Milwaukee was just a few blocks from the surprisingly dinky intermodal station downtown, and Wisconsin Center was just a short walk from the hotel, so Amtrak was really a good idea for me. But I was shocked at how dead downtown Milwaukee is on weekends. I mean, I've been to downtown Milwaukee several times before, but it just really hit me this time. And apparently, downtown Milwaukee is dead once standard business hours are over during the work week, too. From what I'm told, if you want to do some fun stuff in Milwaukee, you actually have to go into the neighborhoods. Now, here's something for me that was quite major, but I think most people wouldn't really bat an eye about this. I tried matzo ball soup. I'd always been curious about it, but I just never tried it until this year. Lisa and I, as any Chicagoan should, love Manny's Deli. It's a big Jewish deli in the South Loop, just outside of downtown. <laughs> I remember one time when we were there, I asked for a corned beef on rye. The guy behind the counter said, you want pastrami? I said, no thanks, just corned beef. And he replied, no, I'm telling you, you want pastrami. And he handed me a piece of pastrami. I tried it, and my knees buckled. Oh, make that a corned beef and pastrami on rye. But when we went to Manny's earlier this year, I decided it was time to try matzo ball soup. And I freaking loved it. Now, I'm not one of those people who takes a picture of food and puts it on Insta, but <laughs> I had to take a picture of this matzo ball soup and proclaim my discovery on Facebook as if I had just freaking invented it. A Jewish friend was horrified, though. She told me homemade is the only way to go. I told her, well, next time I'm at your house, you need to make a batch, and she promised she'd accommodate that request. I haven't been to her house since. In fact, I haven't been to her house in years. But I have since had the pleasure of enjoying matzo ball soup from Manny's again, and a few other places as well. When Lisa and I took that trip to California I talked about, I had matzo ball soup twice in the same day. First, it was for lunch at the Beverly Glen Deli in Bel Air, a cozy little place frequented by Brian Wilson, one of my musical heroes, and also by his neighbor. Uh, what was her name again? I think it was Vanna White. Is that it? <laughs> 
And for dinner, we went to Cantor's Deli in the Fairfax district. I loved them both. The broth in the matzo ball soup at the Beverly Glen Deli was the better of the two, but Cantor's matzo ball soup had the better matzo ball. And just two days before I wrote the script for this segment, second time I'm meta-ing myself here, I had the matzo ball soup from JB's Deli in my neighborhood here on the north side of Chicago. I really hate to call it my least favorite because it was still great, but I enjoyed the other three more. It occurred to me that maybe on my day off, the Friday before Christmas, I could run out and get some stuff from Kaufman's Deli in Skokie for lunch for Lisa, her mom, and me. Her mom's coming in from Jersey in a few days. And I'm not even going to pretend that my motivator for that wasn't an opportunity to try another matzo ball soup. Also, I tried Marmite for the first time. I might have mentioned that in a previous episode. During our trip to LA, I picked up a jar at the Laurel Canyon Country Store. By the way, we went into that Laurel Canyon Country Store because, you know, we'd heard about it. We heard that uh, a lot of uh, famous Hollywood people had gone there, especially in the music industry. They used to hang out there. But uh, first of all, driving there is a real pain. It's so tight getting in there, and the parking lot is so crammed that you're convinced when you back out of your parking space to leave, you're going to hit something. Either that or fall off the little five-foot cliff that's behind it. We were both wondering, God, the people who used to come here were stoned all the time. How did they get here without killing themselves? <laughs> and uh, the Laurel Canyon Country Store, it's really, it's just a convenience store, really. It has a little bit of uh, touristy stuff in it, but it's mainly a convenience store uh, with a little bit wider variety. And they happen to have Marmite. There was also a jar of Vegemite on the shelf, but I decided, nah, I'll just stick with Marmite for now. Now, for some reason, I had thought that Marmite was banned in the United States, so I asked the clerk, how did you manage to get a hold of this stuff? And she said, well, we have a lot of British customers. She'd never heard of Marmite being illegal here, and um, a lazy Google search turned up no evidence that it ever was really banned here. I don't know where I got that idea. But when we got home to Chicago, I tried that stuff on toast, because apparently that's how you're supposed to eat Marmite, spread it on toast. And uh, at first I was like, mm, this is interesting. And then I thought, what the hell did I waste my money on? Another person said, well, you're supposed to spread it really thinly on there. So I tried it really thin on another piece of toast, and I quickly offered up the rest of the jar to anybody who wanted it. And uh, the rest of that jar of Marmite went to a Pie Factory podcast listener. Yeah, wow, two mentions of Pie Factory in one little segment here. <laughs> Look at me, Mr. Self-Advertising. Oh, I mentioned uh, the day off before Christmas, and uh, that's something that's going to be a bit of a shock to my system. Because I have a new job, I only just started halfway through October. I don't have enough time off to take for Christmas like I used to with my previous job where I would schedule my time off such that I had enough PTO or paid time off left over that I would not have a day of work between Christmas and New Year's Day. In fact, the last few years at my job, my last day of work for the year would be December 20th or even earlier. But this year, because I'm new and I don't have any time off really accrued, um, I had one day accrued, but I had to use it for the New Jersey trip. I only have off on December 23rd and December 30th, which are the company-observed holidays. But hey, at least I get to be home. I'm going to be honest though, I do hate that all day on Christmas it'll be hanging over my head that I have to work the next day. I really wish they would have given us that Monday off instead of Friday, but oh well. 
If I can come to my senses, I'm going to be thankful that I'm in a situation in which I have a job to go to in the first place the day after Christmas. 2022 was a good year for super deluxe editions of music that I dig. It started in October with the release of the super deluxe edition of the Beatles' Revolver album. Then in December, there was a super deluxe edition trifecta. Vince Guaraldi's soundtrack to A Charlie Brown Christmas, The Monkees' Headquarters album, and the Beach Boys' Sail on Sailor set. The three former offered brand new remixes of the original albums, all of which improved significantly on their original mixes from the 60s, while the Sail on Sailor set offered not remixed but remastered versions of the Beach Boys' early 70s albums, which were called, by the way, Carl and the Passions So Tough and Holland. I really didn't care about the remasters. I bought that six CD set for the archival material. I mean, the previous releases of Holland and So Tough sound perfectly fine, so I didn't care that they were remastered. While there are some interesting outtakes on that and some really cool alternate mixes, to me, the rather expensive price tag was a bargain just for the inclusion of a Carnegie Hall concert from Thanksgiving 1972. It sounds amazing in the quality of both the audio and the performances themselves. Unfortunately, the concert tracks were tampered with by flying in some background vocals from studio recordings, but aside from that, the concert tracks are nothing short of amazing. The 2022 remix of the Monkees' Headquarters album is stunningly clean, while the outtakes on the set as a whole, in my opinion, aren't really that much to write home about, and the same could be said about A Charlie Brown Christmas, but it does include some session outtakes that are pure gold, such as the slower version of O Tannenbaum that plays in the TV special as Charlie Brown takes the famous Christmas tree home, and a take of Christmas Time is Here, in which the kids singing flub the take and share a raucous laugh. And yes, my favorite band ever, The Beatles, with a 5-CD box set of Revolver featuring a 2022 stereo remix, the original mono mix, and two discs full of outtakes and alternate mixes. While I don't like that there's a lot of empty space on those CDs, what they put on the five CDs could have fit on three, probably. What they did include was nothing short of spectacular. Well, except for the mono mix of Revolver, I don't care what anybody says. It sounds terrible. There's just... I have four different instances in my music of the Revolver mono mix, and they all sound terrible. There's no treble. There's precious little middle. It's too boomy, too distorted. I don't know why people say that's the best way to listen. But <clears throat> anyway, I digress. Uh, but it only recently occurred to me how poorly balanced the original 1966 stereo mix of Revolver was due to the limited capabilities of four-track recording. For the new mix, Giles Martin used technology that was devised by Peter Jackson's crew that could isolate audio elements to the point that not only could the team, say, isolate Ringo's drums, but they could actually separate out each individual drum. And the mix that came about as a result just sounds nothing short of amazing. So good. And that's not even one of my favorite Beatles albums, but it's probably my second favorite of their box sets. Well, Super Deluxe Editions aren't cheap, so it was an expensive Q4 for music purchases for me, but man, no regrets. Lisa and I also went to many more concerts than we did last year, but I'll hold off on that for now. 
I guess 2022 turned out as a whole to be a better year than 2021. I mean, for God's sakes, my dad died last year, as did Mike Nesmith, one of my musical heroes. So I didn't have to go through that again in 2022, obviously. Better paying job with great co-workers, a lot more concerts, nice travel opportunities, first time trying Marmite and Matzo Ball Soup, uh, not together, and four Super Deluxe Editions. Wow. Not bad, 2022. Not bad. Oh, hey, remember how twice I said I went to more concerts this year than I did last year? Well, I should probably go over those in detail. The first time I did that, I got some really nice feedback about that, how that was a nice idea, and I appreciate that. So, hey, why not do that again this year? So, without any further, uh, what's that word people like to say? Oh, yes, adieu. Hey, before I actually say anything, I should introduce a guest who is with me who has been on Autobiography of a Schnook before and is now actually an actual podcaster, and uh, that's my wife, Lisa. Hi, honey. Hello, dear. Aren't we adorable? Yes, we're very sickening. Now, here's the deal. Three years ago, three years ago, we did this. We decided to do kind of a year in review on the concerts we performed. No, not performed. We attended. <laughs> and uh, we did that again in 2020. We covered <laughs> every single concert that we saw in 2020. Meaning none. Meaning none. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about the monkeys instead. Yeah. Last year... It would have been a very short segment because we went to two shows. We saw Brian Wilson in, oh, what the hell's the name? Waukegan, Waukegan. Illinois at the uh, Genesee Theater. And then shortly after that, we saw Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dolenz, a.k.a. The Monkees featuring Mickey and Mike. Or No, The Monkees featuring the Mike and Mickey show. That's what it was billed as. And then a month later, Mike was dead, unfortunately. Yeah. He still is, as far as I know. Yeah. So that was a pretty short thingy of concerts. But they uh, were really good they shows. They really were good shows. And uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about more, at least one of them for comparison's sake in just a tiny bit. This year, um, anybody listening in the future, that would be 2022, we've been to several more. So we had a little bit more of a kind of normal year in concerts. I would have liked more. But what are you going to do when people that you want to see aren't in the area and people that you thought you wanted to see? <laughs> Paul McCartney. Which already answers a question I was going to ask yeah. after we were over. So there, that part's done. Yeah. But it just seems weird that it took until the end of May that we saw our first concert. Well, not really, because with COVID and everything, I mean, remember, shows are booked quite a few months at least in advance. And I think a lot of artists were hesitant to schedule shows for the first few months of the year. But as the outlook was getting better, and as we were getting into the year, and a lot of uh, local restrictions were being lifted, artists felt more free to schedule shows and, and give it a try, I think. So that's it's not so much that we didn't go to a show until May. It's that there really there weren't any to go there to. There really weren't many shows early in the year. I mean, it was it was like everything was just kind of opening up and waking up again. And then it was like a flood of artists who hadn't toured in a long time and like all different artists, not so much ones we're interested in, but people that I know were going to see all kinds of people that they probably never thought they'd be able to see in concert. But these artists were 
after sitting at home, said, hey, let's go out and do a show. Indeed. And the first such that we went to um, was, how was it billed? Was it just billed as Al Jardine or was I, it billed as Al Jardine plus family and friends? Or I Wasn't it that Al Jardine and the Endless Summer Band or does he I don't not think, do that anymore? I, I, don't, I don't think he ever did well, an Endless Summer Band. I think that was Mike Love. Well, regardless of what it was called, it, yeah. it was Al and his son, Matt. Al Jardine from the Beach Boys, I should yes. say. And his son, Matt Jardine, who mainly performs with Brian, as does Al, and Carney and Wendy Wilson. Indeed. And other musicians to back them up, including some that we had seen involved with uh, Brian Wilson's tours in the past. Yeah, like Debbie Cher, who occasionally sits in on keyboards with Brian Wilson's mm-hmm. band. Bobby Figueroa on drums, who mm-hmm. was a longtime touring member of the Beach Boys band back in the 70s, as was Ed Carter. He was also in the band playing bass guitar. He would play bass and sometimes a regular old-fashioned six-string guitar on stage with the Beach Boys and sometimes in the studio with them going back as far as the 60s, actually. And I think he was with them until possibly the 90s, or as I like to call him, Ed Carter's hair, because he always had that fuzzy hair. (laughs) That white guy afro sort of Yeah, yeah. And also in the band was Rob Bonfilio, who was Carney Wilson's husband. Mm-hmm. And wasn't it adorable how she said, oh, he's, he fathered my children. Carney <laughs> she got all is, weepy. Carney is just adorable <laughs> anyway. I mean, she's literally like a kid on stage in a good way. Yeah, she was the... If there was one single reason to go to that show, it was Carney. I mean, she was so much fun to watch. I mean, she's so into what she does. She just has a great stage presence. Like, again, very fun, very accessible. Not like, oh, I'm sophisticated musician or rock star or whatever. Like, she's out there to have a good time. And that made it great. And this show was on the Friday of Memorial Day weekend. And I really needed this show being a high school teacher. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really needed just some good music to start the long weekend. That was a good way to start the weekend, I think. And a good way to start the summer season, too. Because uh, it was a fun... I mean, here's the weird thing. I mean, Al Jardine, he was making a lot of mistakes. And unlike a lot of performers who would just kind of shrug it off or laugh it off, he seemed kind of annoyed. Well, I think he probably wants to, if he's playing to an audience, he wants to do things right. I mean, to be fair, this wasn't a tour, tour, tour. No, and also I think it was... They had just done, I think they had done maybe a show the day before. Yeah, like they they were kind of, I think they were still rusty. And they were going to, I think they went to Milwaukee the next day. But this wasn't like a tour, tour, tour. Yeah. So that may have been because I know Al had done some shows like throughout this year, his own show where it's just him and Matt and like one or two other musicians. Well, that's a show we could have gone to because he was here in Chicago, but it was like my second week of school on a Monday. <laughs> Yeah, that Which, was a very like, no. no, I can't I, I can't have, do a school night. <laughs> I would have loved to have gone to that show because those shows are different from the family and friends or whatever mm-hmm. shows. And it's really interesting. More like a storyteller yeah. kind of thing. And also, we were supposed to see Al at the same venue, City Winery, back in uh, 
I think it was like early April of 2020. That was one of the first things that we had tickets or reservations for when everything started to get canceled. So we miss seeing him then. And we we still haven't gotten our money back from that. (laughs) Well, we have a credit. We just haven't. I want our money back. Yeah, they're not going to do that. (laughs) <laughs> you can call them up and complain. Well, it's I am on not... your credit card, so, we, anyway, so you dispute the charge. But the venue was kind of interesting, too, because it was at the Des Plaines Theater, Des Plaines, Illinois, just outside the city. We had never even heard of this venue, but it turns out it's an old theater that I think had just been acquired by the production company headed by this guy, Ron Onesti. He's a big promoter who has... He's in the business now of taking over an old theater, restoring it, getting bands in there, getting shows to places where people might not normally have live music, and even putting in a restaurant or something so people can make a night of it very easily. So I've been hearing a lot about that theater ever since then. In fact, the Al Show may have been one of the first shows there because it seemed to be all kind of fresh paint and <laughs> everything yeah, in there. It seemed very empty. Like it, it, Not that there weren't a lot of people there. It's Well, it wasn't the most packed audience I've seen, but the venue itself seemed very empty and not much to it. You know? Well, after thinking about it, because it was just chairs set up, it may have been that the theater may have served other purposes and they yeah. had taken like all the seats out. Because I know we were sitting on regular chairs down in front. Yeah, it so, was uh, like three or four rows of like folding chairs right in front of the stage. And then another 15 feet back was regular theater type of seating. Yeah, it's so like they, there was a big gap between the stage and the it just built-in felt, seats. It felt kind of cavernous, but that's the thing. It may have been like over the years, the theater yeah. may have been used for other purposes yeah. and stuff may have been taken out that eventually they might restore. Yeah, and I like to make fun of Ron Onesti because he kind of likes to get attention to himself. He's always <laughs> on stage before the show and all this. But I'll tell you what, if you look at the theaters that he promotes for, there's always something going on every single night. Yeah. He's good at bringing acts Oh, in. he's a great promoter. And yeah. because of him, I have Mickey Dolan's autograph. That's right. So. <laughs> Absolutely. That's another story. It, it was interesting because before the show started and Ron was doing his little spiel before the show, he said, you know, it seems that our flag goes underappreciated. So let, and he brought the, the the U.S. flag out and played, I think, the Star Spangled Banner record. Oh, you know what? It was uh, the guys from uh, Metallica. It was a video of. Uh, yeah, yeah. I forgot who it was from Metallica, but two guys doing a guitar duet. That yeah. was actually pretty cool. Yeah. And then he asked for a round of applause for first responders and then teachers. I'm like, oh, this is, I'd never, yeah. I'd never heard someone was, like ask for that kind of acknowledgement. It was so that's pretty interesting. cool. I think the most memorable part of the show for me was the first Wilson Phillips song that they performed. I forgot the name of it. Or was it Release Me? No, no. It wasn't Hold On. It wasn't Release Me. Wendy and Carney sounded amazing. But it is interesting again to see the two of them on stage because. I mean, they are sisters and they're very close, but they are so different. Oh, yeah. It's like Carney is pretty short. I remember she was wearing like a black dress with leggings and had her hair up in pigtails, like real cute, real fun. And Wendy is tall and slim and was wearing like a sparkly top and pants. Yeah, like, she was wearing like tan leather pants. Yeah, and, and like she really looked like the person you'd see singing at a rock concert. I mean, she sounded wonderful, but I mean, she just doesn't have the 
stage presence that Carney does. And it's just yeah. interesting how different they are. Yeah. Impulsive. That okay. was the song. Okay. Yeah. It was uh, Wendy and Carney and Matt Jardine doing the third part. Yeah. The China Phillips. And, uh, that just about knocked me on my mm-hmm. ass. Holy God. No, they, they I'm were thinking, really man, good. I have neglected Wilson Phillips far too long. They were really good. I mean, yeah, it wasn't Phillips, but you know, still. <laughs> and I think another memorable moment for me was actually before the show started, the house lights were still up. There's a guy walking on stage with an acoustic guitar. I thought it was a stage manager or or a roadie or something, and he started playing. Like, I think a couple of people in the crowd started cheering, and so he started playing some songs. I'm thinking, okay, is this a road manager who just <laughs> was just taking advantage of the moment? No, it was an unannounced opening act. Yeah, it was a, yeah. Th- it was a young guy. He had to be, just, has to be in his mid-20s, if yeah, that. Yeah, lo- a local guy. Yeah, Michael McInerney, really, I think, was Really, really good. Yeah, and I remember specifically two things. He was doing mostly 60s songs. He did, well, That's All Right, which is from the 50s. It was Elvis's first big song. But he was doing it in the key of E, the original's in the key of A, but he was still singing it as if it were in the key of A, which really, when you think about it, doesn't make sense when you hear it. It actually worked. And he did an original song that was about Resurrection Mary. If you don't know who Resurrection Mary is, look it up. You'll find plenty about it. It was a very cheerful song about something that is not cheerful at all. Hmm. So I thought it was a very interesting juxtaposition. Moving on. Moving on. The next show was on July 16th. Weird Al Yankovic at, of all places, Symphony Center, which is the home of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Not the kind of place you'd expect to go to a Weird Al concert. Second show, too. It was his second night there. Yeah. And I'm just going to get this out of the way just because I'm a jerk and I just want to say this out loud. After the show, I said to you, okay, why am I pissed off? And you answered it correctly. He did not do... One more minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Al, if you're listening, and I doubt you are, because I have like four listeners, and I doubt you're one of them. You cannot do a concert without doing one more minute, period. And you would expect to hear it, and I think he did do it at other, because he does change up the set list. Yeah. And I think he, he may have even done it at the previous night. But yeah. In fact, he may have actually done an entirely different set because yeah. he knew that, in fact, he said before the show, he knew that there were people who were there both nights. Yeah. So he probably wanted to get a different show for those kind of people. And this was the tour that um, he had done several years ago, like before the pandemic, where it was all original songs, except, of course, for... A few things in the um, in the encore in the encore, but like he did Yoda, yeah, for example, and his let during that tour, both the first time he did the self indulgent vanity tour, whatever he called it, and yeah. the second time he did it, he ended by doing a straight cover of just any song, and it wasn't yeah. the same. He never once did the same song twice. And what song did he do it? Well, our he show? In, he introduced it by saying that a lot of people that he meets, they say, "Hey, how do you want to be addressed? I mean, are you?" Oh, Al, are you Weird Al? Okay. So to answer the question, he did. You can call me Al. Yeah. And as faithful to the Paul Simon version as possible, since he knows that everybody knows that. Oh, yeah. And everybody in the audience had the video rolling through their head. Oh, I certainly did. (laughs) Certainly. I sure did. I certainly did. What I thought, I found interesting about at least the show we went to was that most of the songs he did were deep cuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, buy me a condo for God's sakes. <laughs> oh my God. Who, how many 
fans know that. I mean, I know it because it was on the first Weird Al album I ever owned. To be honest, I think a lot of people who go to Weird Al shows, especially this type of tour, are people who know the deep cuts. Yeah. yeah. Al has very serious, serious, serious devoted He did a lot of songs I didn't know, and I've been a big fan since 1984. Well, I am not a big fan of the whole thing of a opening act. I'm not, that is not my jam. But once in a while, you see somebody that it's like, okay, I was entertained. And this was one of those times because his opener was Emo Phillips. And I'm like, oh, good Lord. Like, I haven't heard of this guy since the (laughs) 80s because, you know, he'd pop up on MTV Uh, all the time because he was was a weird dude, too. Oh, man, was he funny. And he and Al go way, way back. He was in UHF. They've been buddies a long time. So, but, you know, he was funny and it was just a great start to that show. Yeah, and one thing I remember in particular was, I think the last song in the regular set that Al did was Albuquerque, which I had been somewhat familiar with. I remember that in the liner notes in the CD where it has the printed lyrics, the song is so long that the printed lyrics actually just come to an end. <laughs> and there's like a footnote somewhere saying that it was too there was too much to put in there. So <laughs> it's a long song. He gets to one part of the song, like almost at the end, and he said, Oh crap, I don't remember the rest of the song. I, it'll come to me. I just have to go through the whole thing all over again. So they actually started the song all the way at the beginning. And went about three minutes into the song, and Al stops. He's like, oh, I remember now. And they skip to the end. (laughs) And I got to say, this is probably, in terms of audio, the best engineered concert I ever attended. Which, when you think about it, for his kind of a show, it kind of has to be so you can hear the words. Well, also... And well, maybe that's why they were at Symphony Center, too. too. To guarantee good good acoustics. Good room. That makes a big difference. Now, you are somebody who has been to orchestral shows at the world-famous Avery Fisher Hall and Symphony Center. How do they compare? Well, Symphony Center is more on a par with a place like Carnegie Hall. They may have improved Avery Fisher by now, but I I think they did a a renovation. I hope they did because it was like listening to an orchestra play inside of an aluminum garbage can. (laughs) When they opened Avery Fisher Hall, it was flawed to begin with, and it took them, they had to put all kinds of baffles and all sorts of things in to try to improve the sound, and it still just wasn't good for a long time. (laughs) The next show we went to was almost a week later, July 24th. Whatever that amphitheater in Tinley Park (laughs) is called this week, It's been the World Music Theater, the New World Music Theater, the Tweeter Center, First Midwest Bank Amphitheater, Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Well, it's still the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, despite the fact that it is many, many, many miles away from From the nearest Hollywood Casino. Yeah, like, you, you know, if you're going to a show there, you're going to an amphitheater that's way out in the middle of freaking nowhere. You are nowhere near a casino. Yeah, you're nowhere near anything. I just want y'all to know that. You're like off an exit off of 80 and you drive out past like cornfields and dirt and there it is. (laughs) And we had been there there several times. And I remember when that place was built. So this was a double decker show, Brian Wilson and Chicago. 
two uh-huh. big favorites of ours. Yeah. So really, it's kind of two shows in one, especially because there's a lot of difference in those two shows. Oh, yeah. Neither one of them seem to be short at all. It's, oh, it's no. almost like they played a full set and didn't think, you know what, we should shorten it because we're going to be there for two acts and all that. So we got a lot of show. You got for a lot our of money. show. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Brian Wilson came out first, and uh, he's been having some pretty major back problems lately. He's had a couple of surgeries, so he was actually coming out with a walker, and he was assisted by a stagehand or something. They were talking to each other on the way out. I guarantee you he was telling him about Be My Baby. Of course he was. There's no way that he was, hey, you ever listen to Be My Baby? (laughs) Yeah, you should. It's a good song. Good song. Or they were talking about food. Or that too, yeah. Again, we had seen Brian Wilson last year. I think it was late October. So this was only about nine months later. And there was a huge difference between 2021 Brian and 2022 Brian. 2021 Brian, he was like, he was seriously really, really good. It's like he was rested and raring to go. (laughs) When we saw him with Chicago, though, he was hardly there, really. He he, he just sing a couple of lines of a song and then suddenly just kind of fade out and someone else would cover for him. As fans, we don't have any definitive story on this. I mean, we know that this was not an isolated thing. Yeah. uh, That the same could be said for other shows. My guess is, is that he was having a flare-up of his problems and was just uncomfortable and even traveling in on a luxury tour bus and it, being in hotels, that's not the same as being home in your own bed. So he may have been uncomfortable. And also playing big venues yeah, that, was that a- were mostly mm-hmm. outdoors in the summer. So you have heat, you have humidity. Yeah. It's not as comfortable as playing... A small theater in the fall with climate-controlled theater in the fall when it's going to be much more pleasant outside. And so that may have been part of it, too, that maybe playing bigger venues just wasn't, wasn't what he wanted at the time. But playing a tour with Chicago may have been too lucrative to pass up. Yeah, and also the thing is, that tour had a lot of dates on it. Like, if you look at a Chicago tour schedule, they're touring a lot, and it might have been way too much for him to handle. He's not used to that. I took a look at the schedule. They were on the road for seven weeks, and and the show we went to was the second to last one for them. I, yeah, they, I think they Chicago, in Michigan after I think that. Chicago continued on after that. Yeah. But they had been on the road for seven weeks since I think the um, beginning of June or something. And just to give you another idea, those of you who don't know, Brian Wilson turned 80 years old the yeah. previous month. So, Well, you look at the tour schedule of another person who just turned yeah, 80 yeah, this yeah, year. I, I mean, Paul, just two Ma- days before. Paul McCartney's tour was... I think just maybe four weeks. And the only time he played two nights in a row was when he was in the same city. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like he was doing a show, jumping on his tour bus and going someplace else. He could stay in a place or in a hotel or, or as I like to think, he just buys a house because he can, because he's richer than God. <laughs> you know that when he's here, he stays in the yes, bed and breakfast that's up. a block and a half away from and, us. Um, until you somebody know, proves otherwise, that is what I think. And he also had, in between cities, he had three to four days off. And I'm sure Brian had to stick with Chicago's schedule, yeah. where they were doing a lot of back-to-back shows. They were doing three or four days in a row. 
before having a day off. That may have been just too strenuous for him. And in the end, it may not have been the right thing for Brian. Now, the rest of the people on stage, his band, they're amazing. And of course, he had Al Jardine and Blondie Chaplin, who are stunningly good, especially Blondie. Yeah, and and that's something I I needed to talk about, because when you go to a Brian Wilson show, and if Blondie Chaplin is in the band, there is going to be part of the show that basically becomes the Blondie Chaplin show. Oh, yeah. I mean, he will play an extended guitar solo. Yeah, he's really good at it, too. Yeah, I mean, he's... It may not be what you bought a ticket for, but you're going to be glad you saw it. Well, you're going to be glad you saw it if you're a Beach Boys fan and you're a fan of the two albums that Blondie was on, which I am, especially Holland, for sure. Yeah, for those who don't know, Blondie and another guy named Ricky Fatar were involved with the Beach Boys for several years in the early 70s. And yeah, that's Ricky Fatar as in Stig O'Hara from the Ruggles <laughs> and uh, Bonnie Raitt's touring drummer. Yeah, and uh, they're from South Africa, and they had been in a band called The Flame that Carl Wilson got a hold of and produced mu- some music for them. And eventually, those two were asked to joined the Beach Boys for several years and toured with them, recorded with them, and uh, before they left and went on to other things. And they were pretty young when they got involved. I think uh, when Blondie got involved with the Beach Boys, I think he was just out of his teens. Hmm. And Ricky may have still been a teenager. I don't know if they were that young, because the Flame had actually existed for quite a long time. Well, yeah, but, but they, they were, were called were, the Flames before that. But they but, were, but they were still young. But yeah, the thing is, if you're not a diehard Beach Boys fan and you go to a Brian Wilson show and suddenly there's this tall black guy walking around the stage and taking over the show, right. you're probably going to be like, "Who's the, who the like, hell who is, is this? Who's this guy?" <laughs> But if you're a fan, it's going to be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. It's a treat. It's definitely a treat. It was still a great show. And you get three Beach Boys. Yeah, right? (laughs) Seriously. One thing that I noticed, I think, I'm pretty certain that a vast majority of the crowd was there to see Chicago. I really think they were. But having said that... They gave Brian a really, really warm welcome. They were they were good to him. Well, the thing, I mean, for what it's worth... They applauded with the rest of us. They gave him the standing ovation during God Only Knows. For what it's worth, there's not too much distance between the music of Chicago and the music of, especially the Beach Boys in the 70s. Oh, yeah. And there was definitely a lot of kind of cross-pollination there that the Beach Boys in Chicago toured together in the 70s. And they some um, of the Beach Boys are on Wishing You Were Here. Yeah. And they also toured together later on because first time I saw the Beach Boys in concert, it was Beach Boys in Chicago in 1989. And I didn't really know much about Chicago beyond their 80s Peter Cetera power ballad hits. So... I didn't appreciate that as much as I would now because I've gotten into their earlier stuff, but it was still, I mean, they're still great. So there was an intermission and then Chicago came out and they had a lot of show. Yes, they did. (laughs) I mean, seriously, they came out like, we are going to blast horns at you for a long, long time. (laughs) What really was weird though is that Robert Lamb had ducked out of the tour at some point. Like, I think I think uh, the show before ours, he was missing in action. 
for our show, they set up Bob's keyboard, but he wasn't there. He was nowhere to be yeah, found. Yeah, we don't really know what the story yeah, was I, there. I, I did some Googling, couldn't find anything. Yeah. Of course, Terry Kath is long gone. Of course, he, almost 40 years he's been, he's been gone from this earth, so they didn't have him to sing. So they had one guy doing all of the vo- all of the lead singing yeah. for most of the show. It was the same guy who I think it was the guy who usually does the Peter Cetera vocals. Yeah, I sadly don't know his name. He was good. Oh my he god, he was good. I he mean, was amazing. He sang everything. Yeah, except except color my world. I think Jimmy Pankow is that how his name's pronounced? Pankow Pango. Uh, the, he sang what the trombone player. Or? Yeah, like he the guy who wrote. Ballet for a Girl and Buck Hannon, he also sang Color My World. And he, he, he sounded a lot like Terry Kath, I gotta say. Every performance, every song was like playing, I mean, they played their asses off. Oh and my God, the was, end. The thing is, when we've seen Chicago in concert before, we didn't really have see, a good view really, of them. We didn't we really were see way them. in the back. Because anytime we've gone to a Chicago show, it was at Ravinia, where... For the most part, if you don't have pavilion seats, unless you happen to be on the lawn right outside the pavilion, you're not going to see the stage. Because it's that packed when they're at Ravinia. Well, also the Ravinia lawn kind of goes all over the place and they have a wonderful sound system. So if you're just there to hear music and you don't necessarily care about seeing what's going on on stage... You're good. Like you set up your chairs and your little folding table and you have your food and your drinks and whatever, and you just enjoy the music. So we had never really seen the performers on the stage. And this time, you know, we had pretty good seats and we're pretty close to the front. And they had like on the video screens behind them, they had all kinds of like swirling colors and effects and all sorts of things. And I mean... I don't know if it was just, I mean, I'm chalking this up to just post-COVID, not used to doing things, but I I seriously was having sensory overload. It was loud. I was really wishing I had earplugs. But Well, not even so much the volume, just for me, it was the visuals. I'm a visual person. So having all the, the video screen stuff... It, it was starting to get to me. Like, I, I just wanted to get out of there. <laughs> like, because when the uh, the last song is always 25 or 6 to 4. So, it's like, whenever we were at Ravinia, it's like, you hear, da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da. It's like, that's your cue to pack up the chairs and head to the train so you can actually get a seat. But here... It was like when 25 or 6 to 4 started, I'm like, let's just get out of here. Like, I wanted to get out of there. Well, I was planning that anyway. I wanted to get out of there mainly because I really wasn't enjoying the show. I mean, I'm not going to deny that they're good. They were really good. But I found myself really disappointed with Chicago. It didn't help any that Robert Lamb wasn't there. So that's one of the original members who's usually there not there. And it was very clear to see an empty keyboard up there, and the stage mm-hmm. just seemed kind of empty, like there was somebody missing. And um, it's part of the purist in me. I'm looking at the stage, and I'm thinking, okay, how many of these people are actually from Chicago or the Chicago area? Yeah. At this point, not many. And I, I understand why. I mean, because, again, Terry Kath is not here, and he's never coming back. Uh, Walter Parazader, he retired, and now, sadly, he has Alzheimer's. So he's not there anymore. Other than that, aside from the rest of the horn players, it's all 
new-ish people who, number one, aren't from the original band, and number two, don't live up to that Chicago name. So I'm thinking, man, there's something just not right about this. And at the same time, I think a big part of the problem was really my own fault because I had just watched the documentary, The Terry Kath Experience. So that kind of tainted me, you know, seeing all these... Because in that documentary, all of the original Chicago people were in it who are still living, which is everybody but Terry. So I'm th- I think that kind of affected me too. And also, I have some ongoing complaints about Chicago's shows that, number one, they only do the last part of getting stronger every day. And I mean, come on, man. The whole point of it is the buildup of the song. Well, I think it's also that uh, beginnings didn't go as long as you would have wanted. Yes, because they just they do a couple of, only the beginning. And they didn't go into only the, the beginning. Little, like, bah, it's done. The it's little like, fun, on. like the little fun percussive ending. That is um, one of the reasons that Chicago Transit Authority side one is possibly my favorite album side of all time. But they did slay the ballet for a girl. They did. And that's something I wanted to talk I about. I love that dearly. That's one of the things I was getting at when I said about how this is the first time we actually saw the band really. And there's one thing that you don't see when you're way in the back in Ravinia and you can't see the stage because you're so far back is the last note at the end of Ballet for a Girl and Buck Hannon. They hold that note out literally until they run out of breath and they're almost falling over at the end. It's like, oh my God. Yeah, that was... uh... That was great. But so, yeah, we both had issues with the show for totally different reasons. Yeah. Now, what I would love to see happen, and I, I don't know how plausible this would be, all the original members of Chicago who are still with us, like the ones who left because they were mad, just you know, bury the hatchet for just a short Wait, time. Even Peter Cetera. Even Peter Cetera. Like, I don't care. <laughs> hey, bring them all back together and keep at least some of the current members, current new members, too. Oh, yeah. Because, like, that's that one singer. Like, I'm sure Peter Cetera can't hit all those notes anymore. Yeah. I mean, these are hardworking people. Yeah. They they do very well with their job. <laughs> but have the original guys reunite. And I would love them to do Chicago Transit Authority from start to finish, except take out freeform guitar, <laughs> yes, replace dear. it with ballet for a girl in Buckhannon, do a couple of shows maybe at in Grant Park in Chicago, maybe a special show at DePaul University where mm. they're from. Yeah, where they where it all started. And then after that, let them go haywire and yeah, do whatever right. they want, break up again, bring back the new people <laughs> and just continue what and they've been doing. Maybe tone down the video you know, And especially if they, <laughs> and if uh, Walter Parazader is still has enough functionality that he feels comfortable doing a show, bring him too, of course, you know. Yeah. So, our next show yes. was a couple weeks later after, you know, we had gone to California for vacation and then right when we came back, we went to Beetle Fest or the fe- the Fest for Beetle fans for the first time in it's several years. Time, yeah. Then the following weekend we saw kind of going from this big huge amphitheater show to a little tiny performance space in Evanston. Literally I, called well, space. space. Yeah. <laughs> to see a band called the Surfragettes. I adore the Surfragettes big time. So they are an all-girl surf rock band from Canada. Yeah, from the Toronto places. suburbs, I think. And they dress in very cool 60s style, the white boots and 
Like mod clothing uh, kind yeah, of sort mod, of. Like um, go-go kind of yeah. clothing. And uh, big poofy hair and all that. But they are a killer band. And they yep. do, they have some, it's it's all instrumentals. They really don't, they don't sing on anything, no. do they? No, the only thing is when they do a telephone line, there's a couple of spoken parts yeah. to it. But Yeah, it's all instrumentals, uh, like a lot of, all very surf rock, some originals, oh, yeah. other covers, um, even songs you yeah, wouldn't mostly ex- originals, actually. It, it's almost like, okay, we can take anything and make a surf rock instrumental out of it. Yeah, they did a couple of uh, psychedelic songs, like they did Inagata De Vida, mm-hmm. uh, I think Sunshine of Your Love. Yeah. And it just, th- well, Sunshine of Your Love isn't really psychedelic, but it's from that era. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me then that there's such a close link between surf and garage and psychedelia. Yeah. And it just works. I would love to hear them do Interstellar Overdrive someday. Mm. Oh, my God. And at the point, it was my favorite show that I'd seen all year. And I just remember just staring at Nicole's left hand, watching her fretboard technique, because she. I think she's more of a rhythm player. I think both she and Shermie are both kind of lead, but I think Nicole kind of goes to rhythm. And it's really occurring to me how rhythm isn't just strumming chords all the time. Yeah. Like, like John Lennon was doing more than that. Yeah. And I think what kind of got us to go see them is just... My I insistence. Mean, well, I mean, we were talking some time ago about how, like, let's face it, a lot of the music that we really dig is done by people who are getting up in years where they're either just going to stop touring or they're going to stop living. Which actually <laughs> and, happened since last year. And... So it's like, okay, we don't want to get to a point where it's like, we're not going to have anybody to go see, like, we still want to go to shows and see yeah. people. So it's kind of like, yeah, we need to you know, kind of expand our horizons and go yep. check out other music. So this was one of the acts that, and another act that we could have seen, but we were leaving Los Angeles at the wrong time. Oh, yeah. Which hopefully we'll get to see sure next year. There's a band called the Linda Lindas that are all teenagers from the LA area. And they're like very uh, punk influenced. Oh man, are they awesome. They re- I love their album. And they have their one song that everybody knows. Was it Racist Sexist Racist Boy? Racist Sexist Boy. Where they're like, yeah, that's, <laughs> the, that's the only song on the album that's like that. The rest yeah. of it's kind of pretty straight ahead rock and roll. But that one's you're like, yeah. But yeah, anyway, getting are. back on topic. So yeah, hopefully hopefully jets. this time next year we'll yeah. get to talk about Olinda Linda's yeah. show. Because it's like there's been several opportunities to see them. And it's like we're either out of town or not in another town. or It's like we keep missing them. So hopefully- Or we have something else that we have to do that's <laughs> yeah. higher priority. Yeah. But yeah, Surfer Jets, I, I loved that show so much. And they have a new drummer, too. Uh, the They just released an album earlier this year. Uh, Roller Fink, which is a roller skating themed album. They used just a temporary drummer for that album, but their current drummer who's on tour with them, Sam Maloney, she kicked so much Mm -hmm. ass. Oh my God. Yeah. And what occurred to me during that show, you said we had just been to the Fest for Beatles fans. One thing we did at the Fest for Beatles fans is we always do whenever we go is we sit in on uh, American Beatles author Bruce Spizer's talks. And he showed a picture of the Beatles, and uh, they were rehearsing or something. And he pointed out how Ringo's eyes were locked on to somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And 
basically that's how he kept in sync with everybody. Mm-hmm. And he said that was one of Pete Best's problems yeah. was that Pete was in his own little world. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that about Sam Maloney and the Surfer Jets. Like she had her eyes just cemented on Shermie and Nicole alternating back and forth. And it's like, okay, yeah, she's, she's yeah. the real thing here. Yeah. So then our next show was on September 18th, which happens to be our wedding anniversary. Oh, isn't that oh, sweet? Isn't that so sweet? Yeah. And there was an artist I had been um, wanting to see. This was at the Old Town School of Folk Music here in Chicago. Jake Shimabakuro. He had been there a few years ago during a time when I was taking ukulele class. And this guy is considered a ukulele virtuoso. Considered. He freaking <laughs> is. Oh, so my God. I said to Sean, hey, he's going to be there and we can go to the 3 p.m. show because it was on a Sunday. We had just gotten back from a weekend away. And Sean's like, okay, we can check it out. And you're glad you did. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I said how the Surfer Jets at that point was my favorite show. Jake. Knocked him down a notch. Oh, yeah. Seriously. This, I oh mean, this guy God. is, you know, he's- Don't on, get me wrong. I'm going to rush to any Surfer Jets show I can, but- He's <laughs> a native of Hawaii and has been touring and performing for quite a number of years now. Um, he first really got notice for a video that went viral of him performing on the ukulele while my guitar gently weeps. I thought it was Bohemian Rhapsody that got him. Well, that also. Okay. That, like, both of those kind of- I know I heard his version of Bohemian Rhapsody Both of those got him, I don't know which came first, but both of those got him attention. And it's just, his show was full of originals, a lot of songs about Hawaii and about things going on in his life. And he had with him two guys that- I think they go back to high school yeah. together. And what was kind of cool is one guy was um, actually the opener. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, he comes out wearing a Chicago Bears jersey. <laughs> and, yep. and the Bears were playing the Packers that day. So this guy well, mentioned how of. terrifically interested he was in that. And he mentioned a bit later, or maybe Jake talked about this, how he's like, he's not, he's not just pandering to the audience. When you live in Hawaii, you don't have local sports teams. So you have to find, if you're into sports, you have to find allegiances elsewhere. And this guy was a lifelong Bears fan. So he was really, really thrilled to be in Chicago on a Sunday during football season when the Bears were playing. So (laughs) I thought that was cute. Poor guy. I know, but still. We're all long suffering. It's okay. Yeah. Seriously, though, you never heard of this guy, Jake Shimabikoro, or even if you have, go to his shows. Seriously, the man is amazing. Uh, I kind of want to listen to his recordings, but the thing is, it's not quite the same as being there and watching him play the ook. And he had an electric pickup on it, too. And If you closed your eyes, you would swear he was playing an electric guitar, like Eddie Van Halen style, too. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he he puts on a really great show, very warm, very personal, and a lot of different styles of music. And I don't even think he has, I think a lot of it was just his own experimentation. Oh, yeah, I think that's what it was. That just over the years, he's just learned different ways to use this instrument. Yep. So, yeah, just definitely 
go see him. He's mm-hmm. He had a big tour this year, and I mean, he's a young guy, so I'm sure he's going to tour as much as he can. So, yep. And he yep. goes he goes all over the place. So don't think you have to see him by a coast. <laughs> yep. And going on uh, about a month later, October 12th, at the Untied uh, United Center, sorry, yes. United Center in uh, Chicago, we saw the Who. the Who, or as I like to call them, the Two, spelled T W H O. Yeah, I, I, I do feel a little weird referring to them as the Who when it's only two of them, because you know Ox and Keith, you know, they were they were very important to the sound, but well, these guys, I mean, they they carry the banner well. They do, and I they mean, have they put on. A hell of a show. And they have Zach Starkey, who is probably the best thing you can get if you cannot get Keith Moon. Yeah. Well, who taught him how to play drums? <laughs> Keith Moon. And who was his babysitter? Keith as- Moon. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, Pete's brother. Oh, yeah, Simon Townsend. Simon yeah. Townsend who's plays like much guitar. younger than Pete. Yeah, seriously. They're he like, was. He's he like was, 60 years younger. I mean, no, really. He was. He was. <laughs> He was only born in 1964, so he was only just born when The Who was really taking off. So, I mean, you know, how crazy must that have been for him to, like, go to grammar school and your brother is Pete Townsend? (laughs) I mean, that's just, that just had to be the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. Opening act, the lead singer from the Bare Naked Ladies. Yes. I forgot his name, damn it. And he did Brian Wilson. Well, he kind of had to, because yeah. that's their big, one of their big hits. Yeah. Didn't do one week, though. But Well, but he wasn't there. I mean, he evidently he left the Bare, La- Bare Naked Ladies a long time ago. Well, but yeah. No, he, he, was, he was really good. Another opening act that was like, okay, that was worth my time. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, The Who. Oh, my God. Well, it's, you know, you go to a Who show to have the pure essence of rock and roll blown straight through your chest. And this did not disappoint. It disappointed for me. I, and I'll, I'll tell you why. And I actually mentioned this to you before. It wasn't the Who's fault necessarily, but oh, the I sound. didn't, it was the, the sound was off yeah. because the way that we were seated was we were kind of facing the middle, whereas and it's hard to explain, but we were not facing the stage. So basically, we were getting the sound in our right ears, but just a distant echo in the left yeah, ears. It, something was going on, but I mean, the band did their part. The band part. was great, yeah. And, and I mean, th- Roger... The is, there, were, there were some engineering... I said how Weird Al's was the best engineered show. This was the worst engineered show yeah. because of that. And also, there were some problems later on during the show. Like when they did Love, Rain, or Me, I noticed that between... The Rock and Love, Rain, or Me, which usually flows right into each other, there was a big, long pause, and I'm thinking, what's going on? And they started the intro to Love, Rain, or Me, not the big piano improv that they usually do, but just the little three-note repeating riff, and then it stopped with no explanation, and I'm thinking, oh, crap, is Roger okay? Yeah. Yeah, because during The Rock, they have on the video screens, like, basically... Just a big montage of all kinds of things that have happened in the last 60 years. Pretty intense stuff. And it is. It is very intense. And during that time, Roger leaves the stage because I I feel like he literally has to prepare to sing Love, Rain, Or Me, because that's 
a very vocally challenging song oh that my God. Yes, he first recorded when he was like not even 30 and <laughs> being, you know, uh, on the edge of 80. Yeah. And I mean, Roger is a person who has definitely taken care of himself over the years. He's very physically fit. He looks amazing, always has. And also, he is allergic to marijuana smoke. So, and he, there was plenty of that going around. So, he has stayed away from drugs and smoking and things that would hurt his voice. So, his voice is top notch. And I'm sure he probably works with a vocal coach or sure. something to help preserve. Because, I mean, his voice is his bread and butter because he does a lot of touring on his own. In fact, I just saw something in ad for uh, in February. He's doing a show at, uh, in Florida at the Hard Rock Live. So he takes really good care of himself, but I think he goes backstage to take a moment to swallow a gallon of honey. Yeah, really. Honey or olive oil or you know any <laughs> of those things that singers use to make sure their throat is properly lubricated. Opens up his mouth. Somebody comes with a little squeezy thing. <laughs> oh, the little like... With a ball, yeah. squeezy ball at the end. Um, he wraps a scarf around him. And, you know, I mean, he definitely prepares and um, drinks a lot of tea because, you know, he's English. <laughs> and so, yeah, he didn't, he didn't appear again. We're like, oh, God, what happened? But I'm wondering if that was just other technical issues. It was a technical yeah. issue. They said that uh, the, the keyboard player, his keyboard just died. Yeah. So, so they, they had to um, hurry up and fix it. But uh, he still totally, oh, he, totally. He I mean, that killed it. Oh, that, my God. That just like when he does that scream at the end, it's like, it's like, you know, you makes my knees feel weak. Like, oh, my God. That's worth the price of admission right there. Um, oh, man. Well, everything. I mean, just everything. Having them perform, and I we're love not going to take it from Tommy, yeah. you know, where you just, it feels like you're singing with them with all of your might for like an hour. <laughs> and I love that they have that violin player. Oh, my God. She's amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, they had I an orchestra. Oh. They had an orchestra with them. And like many touring acts that have an orchestra, the orchestra does not travel with them. Yeah, it's just They the have a locally hired orchestra that receives all of the materials and they practice and they're, they only meet the band and rehearse with them the day of the show. They're expected to know their stuff before then. But they do have a few musicians who do travel yes. with them, who probably also act as like concert masters for the orchestra. But they have a wonderful violin player. I think that's also just a little moment for Keith, because the violin in um, Baba O'Reilly was Keith Moon's idea. Yeah. And I think they make sure that that is done well as just a little moment to honor Keith, because that was a... A really great contribution. Uh, and she just nails it like <laughs> nobody's business every time. Oh. A friend of ours was a little reluctant to go see the show because, like, especially with, again, the issues we're seeing with Brian, like, oh, these guys are getting up there. They're not what they used to be. And it's like, dude, if they were any slower or diminished, it was maybe what, 2%? <laughs> It's that. I mean, they were still amazing, and I would go see them again in a heartbeat. Oh, me too, me too. And something weird happened. They did a song from the Kenny Jones era 
I don't remember the song, but it's something I wasn't familiar with that I actually liked. Yeah. I don't like Kenny Jones' The Who. except Well, I do like Eminence Front. Yeah. I looked it up later when we got home. I said, oh my God, you're kidding me. That's from that album? And, and I liked it? Can I get weird for a moment? I don't even know if I really As actually... As opposed to what? How, I don't, you, how are I don't you know normally? if I even actually... Because the thing is, you go when you go, when you go see The Who, it's like, again, it's your whole body and soul. Like, you feel like something happened during the show. And... When we went to the show, it was a Wednesday. Um, yep. Yeah, we wouldn't go see Al on a school night, but we went to see <laughs> The Who on a school night. And I was coming down with a cold. <laughs> and that day, I had gotten my notice for my um, annual observation. Your teachers always have to have a formal observation. No matter how experienced a teacher you are, I mean, I've been in this for like 17 years. It's still nerve-wracking because... Basically, your entire year is judged on one 45-minute snapshot or 50-minute snapshot, like one observation of one class period. And it really, no matter how well the your administrator approaches it, it's very nerve-wracking. And I've been doing a lot in, over the past couple of years about addressing anxiety and depression and trying to not let things like this take me over. So when we were at the show that night, I mean, of course, this whole thing is on my mind, you know, that this is something that's going to be coming up. But then I kind of let, well, I said, okay, well, how can the who inspire me? And how can the who keep me confident? And I just thought about how Pete Townsend didn't always have confidence in what he was doing, or he always was, wasn't sure if things were going to work, but he still went out there and did it. And did his best and put himself out there and tried different things. And even when, you know, after Keith Moon died, after John Entwistle died, like he still kept going. I just kind of used that as some inspiration for me. That Interesting. So that was our year in cause. We were supposed to see the B-52s. What happened there? I changed my mind. <laughs> Any regrets? No. <laughs> well, no, because the thing is, what I love most about the B-52s is their Cosmic Thing album from 1989. And I've read some stuff more recently about them, and it's, it turns out that album really was a departure from a lot of the music they had been doing. And I really don't like their other stuff as much. And I didn't care much at all for the album they put out after Cosmic Thing. Good stuff. And I saw, no, it wasn't good. I liked the song. I know, but I looked at their set lists and they didn't really do, I mean, first of all, the set lists were very short, much shorter than you would expect. And they didn't really do the stuff I wanted to hear. Like if they were doing a show where it was like, we're going to do the Cosmic Thing album, I would have been totally there. But- no, it it does. I was like, you know what? And we could have seen Casey and the Sunshine Band. No, that was another thing. I didn't want to. That is not an opening act I want to sit through. I mean, I lived through the 70s. I had to deal with them <laughs> once and I don't want to deal with them again. What about Blondie Chaplin? What about him? 70s. Yeah, but I didn't know who he was in the 70s. Ah, okay, whatever. I didn't learn about him until the 90s because I didn't really know much about the Beach Boys 70s stuff. So anyway, wrapping up, you already said Paul McCartney and the answer, I would say, whom do you hope to see 
before too long in the near future, hopefully next year. Personally, if I were to be told that when I last saw Paul McCartney, that's the last time I was going to see him, I'd be okay with that. You know, I got my fill of him, and I know damn well he's not going to do the stuff I want to hear. He's going to do, I mean, I love the Beatles, but I don't want to hear him do the Beatles. I want to hear the (laughs) Beatles do the Beatles. I want to hear him do Wings stuff. I want to hear him do solo stuff, which he doesn't do that much of. But yeah, Linda Lindas, I'd have to agree with you. I would go to see the Linda Lindas for sure. Yeah. And of course, Stevie. Oh my Stevie, God. Stevie, come on, do a tour, yeah. or at least do a show that we can get to. Do some Intervision stuff too while you're at it. Yeah, seriously. I mean, he's doing better. He's been doing some yeah. one-off shows and he's, he does TV appearances yeah, now and then. Yeah, we need to see Stevie Wonder again. Yeah. And I would love to see Surfer Jets again. Seriously, Jake Shimabukuro, yes, mm-hmm. uh, Shimabukuro, sorry. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And uh, low straitjackets. Oh, that's Spanish for the straitjackets, <laughs> by the way. Because I know they, they were, I got all happy because I saw they were doing a Christmas tour, but they were nowhere near here. Uh, so I think they're mostly out West. At least we have their album that has oh, yeah. all their Christmas tunes they ever But I did. would like to see them. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. And I think they were in this area back like when we were in California. <laughs> of course they so, were. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so that's it. No more California for us. Nah. No. All that, right. that well. We need to keep going there. <laughs> well, hey, let's go right now. Well, in like two weeks. We okay, let's there. go have gumbo then. Okay. I really don't know how 2023 is going to look in terms of concerts because, well, a lot of our favorite performers, let's just face it, they're getting up there in age. In fact, a lot of them are already up there in age and they might want to retire soon. And as we had the harsh reality last year, some of them might not be around to do any more concerts. But hopefully we'll find something because we love live music. And what else can I say other than um, that's the end of the, uh, the chapter, my friends, and thank you for listening. And as I always do, I thank my amazing wife, Lisa, not just for her support, but also her actual active participation in this episode. Before there's another one out, you can always reach out to me at autobio at schnookpodcast.com over email. And I'm on various social media under the handle schnookpodcast. That includes right now Mastodon. Uh, that's at schnookpodcast at cityofchicago.live. And I'm on Hive, which is also just, it's a new one to me. I'm still trying to figure that one out. I'm on Instagram. I know I set up a co-host account, but I have not used it. So it'll be a surprise to all of us. And now there's another social networking thing that people are jumping onto, And I don't remember the name of it, but I will look into that as well. Basically look for schnook podcast somewhere. Facebook, just look for autobiography of a schnook. The show notes, or as I like to say, online bibliography, you can get at schnookpodcast.com. Music and sounds that are not mine remain the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for review and commentary, and infringement is not intended. Coming up next, um, I think as close to the end of December as this is, I think I'm going to do one more episode just in time for Christmas. So keep an eye out on your podcast feeders for that. But in the meantime, heed my words. I strongly, strongly believe that the good goes around. And, uh, oh man, it's lunchtime and we have leftover Mexican food in the fridge, and that is some good that's definitely going to go around to me. So, uh, until next time, all the best, my friends.
Also, I tried Marmite for the first time. Uh, let me say that again. I, I've noticed that that's a habit of mine. I have, like, I say first instead of first. I say first and third. Man, it's I don't like the way I pronounce something. It might be a Midwest thing. I don't know. Let me try that again. <laughs> 